Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. Megan, today we today. have... <laughs> today. Oh, just today. Just want to start off today. Oh, it is today. today. It is today. We both made it. Megan and I are coming off from working all day today. Yes. And then we just did a fabulous interview for the Power Hour. With, with the Larry Jones. Yes. That was super fun. It was. We will release that um, episode. It was like uh, 29 yeah. minutes or something like that. So if you guys want to want to hear it, we will release that um, as well. It's also, we're told, um, going to be on the, the Roku Indie channel. And yeah, something you like can see that. our faces. I if don't know. You it makes me very you nervous. Have for people there. to see our faces, my face, Mine. your face is lovely. Well, I was thinking the same thing about yours Thank as you. well. I when he said let's make this a regular thing, I was like, oh God, makeup, Larry. We have, have to, to wear, wear makeup, makeup. <laughs> regularly. I don't, I don't well, know. Well, and I kept snapping, but nobody came to fix mine. I so it, that was I weird. Had, I had no production it, crew it, at all. It wasn't at all what I thought. Was it was going to be, but it was fun. But the dogs would bring me a toy. Oh, so we did forget to explain that the dogs barked in the background. Oh too. god! But you know, we <laughs> wouldn't want you guys to feel like it wasn't us. Yeah, and it's not us unless you Maggie, know and it's us are Maggie and Molly are. So, uh, what are you giving me and the general public here today? Oh god, I, this motherfucker, you guys. Well, that's a good name. Is that how we're going to title this what, one? That's what we're going to call him. And I'm going. I'm starting with him in terms of giving you his background. And all of this to say is that he claims he's innocent. He has been tried. He has been convicted. He's in prison? He's in prison. But Do you know how many innocent people there are in prison? I'm sure there are a couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get letters all the time. I bet you do. I bet you, yes. you read those. The cops I never do. get it right. No, no, I do read them, but yeah, I don't usually respond. I'll, I'll give you the facts here. And you know, and I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. Maybe he is. Mm. But did a jury find him a guilty? A jury found him guilty. I feel like so, we have to go with justice uh, um, in this case. So we'll, I'll give you, I'll start off with his stuff. Just keep, just bear all that in mind. All right. And we do have murder, but we also have a survivor. Oh, yay. In this, yep. In okay. this case. So I'm going to start by telling you about Michael John Stone. Born Michael John Goodban of um, Kent. Okay, this is this is a UK case. In nine, he was born in 1960. Okay, he was one of five children. Um, there is a little bit of some discrepancies on who his father is. Two men actually claim to be his father. How nice to be so loved. Yes, which I was. Or for your mom to have been. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's I'm just gonna point. smile yeah. and let you tell me the story. That's right. Even though there was some uncertainty, uh, Mr. Stone was regarded 
author, Peter Stone, is what his name was, all okay. right? That is who his mother identified as being. He was given the surname Stone. He was. And also, I have to already correct myself. Excellent. Let's do some redaction. We if, will. If you don't know what that is, I'm taking we out my shall. black marky, marker. Yes, marky. marky marker. I meant to say marky Sharpie. marker and the correction bunch. Sharpie and marker, just marky marky. mark and the correction bunch. <laughs> Dear God, Megan. Sorry. It just slipped here, right out. Here we are. I am on tonight. You are. All right. So, yes, allow me to be a Marky Mark. What correction. You call it? The correction. Yeah. That is you. The correction connection. I am Marky Mark, <laughs> and you are the corrective bunch. <laughs> oh, my God. It's us. Welcome to the new Crime Curious. It's us. It's me. We're her. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Both men actually denied being his father. Oh, they didn't want to be. They did not want to be. And my apologies, I was skimming my notes instead of actually reading them word for word. Okay, so they did not claim to be they his didn't. father. They, they were like, so, which way did he go, George? And they were pointing so in mom, each direction. So eeny, meeny, mining mode, and Peter Stone is who he landed on. So that's how, even though he was born good man, he ends up as Michael Stone. All right, so... Okay. And and this was in several sources. So my apologies if that's not really how the family remembers it, but it came from somewhere. If you're a family member out there, please write us, let us know. Yeah. Uh, and his sister is very, very adamant in fighting for his cause that he is innocent. And so she might be out there. Great. I, I don't know if she's still on I look that, forward to her email <laughs> on that stance. when we get done with this case. Right. But he had a, a, a not so good childhood. There was a lot of domestic violence in the home. He was abused as a child. He was beaten as a child. Um, and I am not discounting any of that. That is horrific. That is not okay. Um, it's in you know the 60s and the 70s. He witnessed his mother's former partner attack another man with a meat cleaver in his home. Okay. Okay. So like someone in their was doing something they shouldn't yeah, have. In their family home, okay. there was a meat cleaving happening on a human body so he was known to pr to be prone to uncontrolled outbursts and aggressive mood swings from the age of nine he began using drugs and this is where he enters into his criminal career okay the age of nine okay so his police records actually date back to 1972 at the age of 12 and continue into adulthood i'm just going to kind of give you a rundown of his rap sheet he uh, was in the foster care system on and off. No surprise there when I tell, told you about, you know, the, the beatings that he sustained and the domestic violence in the home. Um, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Although maybe it does because of it's the 60s and 70s and they, they actually did something. Yeah. <laughs> but, so that should tell you how horrific it was. It had to have been bad. Yes. Yep. Clear injury. Yes. Possibly almost death. Once he left the foster care system, he began using Harian. Harian. Nope. <laughs> Try again. Heroin. It's a type one scheduled narcotic. <laughs> sure is. Um, and actually, this addiction really, really took hold. And um, it was very expensive. It's a very expensive habit. Yeah. Upwards of $1,500 a week expensive. Oh, he had a, he had a bad thing yep. going on. He served three prison sentences in the 1980s and 90s for crimes ra raging from robbery, 
burglary, grievous bodily harm, and assaults um, causing actual bodily harm. And that was on a police officer. More details in a minute. Okay. He was known to carry weapons, including knives and guns. And he would also attack victims with ammonia that he would squirt, like oh. squirt from a, um, like a lemon bottle. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> yeah. That's awful. Absolutely. I would be so pissed if someone squirted ammonia on me. Without my permission. Yes, well, absolutely. I don't even think there's a situation where they would have had it ever, but okay. There's not. Assuming was there saying. was consent involved right. in squirting. We don't kink shame here. So he became a figure in the criminal underworld in Kent. Police suspected him of killing. And these are just, you know, at this point in time, now I'm telling you things that he wasn't uh, convicted of, but just things Speculation. that were on the police's radar. It of is like, so God, coincidental yes. that these things were occurring around the same time as this criminal mastermind was on the loose with his ammonia lemon bottle. Right. Mastermind's a really generous word, but yes. So police suspected him of killing this man named Francis Jugo, who was found stabbed to death in a park in Maidstone in 1976. He was, Jugo was a 65-year-old journeysman um, who was a former special constable. That's the other thing. So he, he was does in do law violent acts and Yes, against the law enforcement. Okay. Yep. The motive appeared to be robbery. Now, remember, I told you he had a very expensive heroin habit. Yes. So a majority of his crimes really were robbery motivated f- to support his addiction. Absolutely. Um, now... Jugo had died from multiple stab wounds to the stomach and the head, which it also showed that he had been kicked repeatedly. Okay. So there's a lot of blunt force trauma, mm-hmm. not yeah. just stabbing. Yes. His body was discovered near Maidstone East Railway Station, very close to the Stone family home at the time and very close to the probation hostel that Stone was staying in. Stone allegedly later told a psychiatrist that he was responsible for the robbery and the murder of Jugo. So Never he, convicted. But he made admissions. He made admissions. Mm-hmm. And this guy's somewhere in prison complaining when he has clearly admitted to a murder that he was never charged with. Right. Somewhere. This is why I said this. Karma dealt you something, sweetheart. Right. Right. Stone was a suspect and was questioned about the crime in the aftermath, and he was again questioned about the murder immediately before being charged with the killings that I'm going to tell you about today that took place um, in the later 90s. At the time of Jugo's murder, police announced that they wanted to speak to four other minors who had thought that they could have seen, like, Mr. Jugo or his murderer. Now, Stone would have been 16, at this time. Oh, he would have been a juvenile. Mm-hmm. Yes. Making an admission to a crime that occurred when you were a child is a little bit different. Yes. And um, the other thing is, by the time he was 16, he was known by policemen in the area. He often committed physical acts against the police. Was he already a heroin addict? Yes. At 16. At 16. Yes, he started at like 13, 14 for that. As soon as he was, he was given, taken out of the foster care system as a young teenager. Mm -hmm. Now, he was sentenced to two years imprisonment in 1981 for attacking a man with a hammer during a robbery. He then received a four and a half year sentence for stabbing a friend while the friend slept in 1983, an attack that penetrated the friend's lung and nearly killed him. And he tried to wound a police officer 
by harming the police. I don't, I couldn't find exactly how, but I know he was known to carry um, knives. That was kind of his weapon of choice at this time. But um, studier of the blade. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. Um, he, this officer lost his eyesight. He's after this encounter. Oh my God, that's awful. So he either- Could have been the ammonia. The ammonia, that's what I was going to say. It was either the ammonia or a stabbing. Okay. He was sentenced for this crime, and the sentencing judge remarked that Stone's violent nature could lead him to killing someone in the future. I love that a judge made that finding because in order to sentence somebody appropriately, you need to justify it so that it doesn't get overturned on appeal. And he was clearly stating that there were, were there were going to be issues with this guy in the future. Mm-hmm. He present, presented a risk to the public safety. Yep. So he gets those those years, okay, for uh, that kind of four, four and a half years. He gets out and then he gets sentenced to 10 years imprisonment for two armed robberies in Maidstone and Brighton, respectively, during the same week he committed these robberies in 1986. He needed that uh, devil's juice bad. Yeah, absolutely. He was fiending. And he so, was. okay. And I'm pretty sure that he was able to keep up with his heroin use in the four and a half years. And I don't know that he served that, for se- that full sentence, y'all. He was sentenced to that. Oh, but I'm that sure doesn't mean I, I'm sure he didn't either. We still empty jails of of these type of events. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, now we have treatment programs and right. such that we can at least, you know, attempt to, you know, reduce recidivism yeah. and, and rehabilitate. But at this point in time, they're, you know, they're going to let him go and just figure out, oh, I'll see him again later. Absolutely. And the first, so it, we're still in the late 80s. Um, the first robbery was at the Maidstone's Hazlitt Theater, and the second was at Leeds Parliament, Parliament, excuse Parliament? me. No, not Parliament. Permanent. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, it's blue writing for some reason. I don't know what happened to my Well, you font. did that to yourself. Uh, it's, yes, but I don't know why it changed that way. And I've secretly been trying this whole episode to change it back, and it, it won't. So. Have you ever seen... Jim Carrey, liar, liar. Yes. The pen is blue. The, the pen is blue. Right. The goddamn pen is blue. I just watched it the other night. It's to laugh. But that's what this is. Your font is blue. My Your font. font is blue. And let me tell you that, and you were just telling Dr. D, Dr. Yeah, Dr. DJ Larry. Heck yeah. That um, I mispronounce things all the time and you correct me. And I appreciate that you just did that for me. Well, I'm here Marky for my own Mark in the correction bunch. <laughs> You should see me in my boxer. And you know what's ridiculous is that he gets 10 years imprisonment for these two armed robberies because they were in the same week. He got $577. That's it? Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. It's a lot of smack though. Like, do yeah, but dude. $577 in the 80s, you're going to be able to shoot up heroin every day that week. Yeah, I guess. It just doesn't seem worth it for 10 years of your life, but... Uh, but what is? I can I, I see don't know. the little bindles now, <laughs> all lined up with his spoons. Just ready. Throughout his criminal career, Stone would steal from garden sheds, taking anything that he could sell, and would mug people at cash dispensers. Those are ATMs for us. It's what drug addicts do. It is. It absolutely is. It's the violent part that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, in prison, he also had a, a knack for attacking various prison officers. Oh, right. so, so he is he has hostile to anything authority. in a uniform. Any authority. kind of authority. Mm-hmm. 
He was known to have been violent towards his partners. An ex-girlfriend, Rachel Marcroft, recounted that he had once beaten her so badly that she went to the police who took photos of her injuries as evidence. And of course, later she dropped the charges. She refused to give evidence against him because she was scared. And she had received two black eyes, a swollen mouth, and heavy bruising from where he had held her down. Injuries which the police later said bore a striking resemblance to those on the bodies of the victims we're going to talk about today. So he has a pattern of how he assaults people. Absolutely. I like a like a certain like certain MMA fighters or boxers. You literally almost could fingerprint like, oh, that person was obviously beat up by Mike Tyson. See the lack of ear. Yeah, right, right. right. Just, I, See the missing portion of <laughs> right. the earlobe. Okay. Not lobe, I guess it was the upper ear. M- more importantly, fighters, fighters have a pattern. And so it was, he had started his. It Not was Not only that, Megan, but he has a weapon of choice. I have mentioned. Knives and ammonia. Well, I mentioned earlier that he attacked a friend with a hammer. Oh, the hammer. And remember the meat cleaver that he witnessed as a child. Okay. All right. But yes. He has a bit of an M.O. here. Well, and the hammer is going to leave very distinct marks. It sure does. Either way you use it. Yep. Mm -hmm. The the other thing that his ex-girlfriend Rachel said was no matter what he tries to tell anybody, he always had recollections of exactly what he had done because he would bring it up in later as later threats. Okay. okay. So don't let the whole, I blacked out. I don't know what I did because of my fits of rage fool anybody because he would later use those against his victims as threats of remember what I did to you and and give, do you want the hammer Mm -hmm. again? Yep. So here we are. He's released from prison in 1993 Prior to the murders that we're going to talk about today, he had received support for his drug addiction and mental health programs and was under supervision of the National Probation Service. He had a history of severe mental illness. He had been um, in mental hospitals throughout 1994. He was diagnosed with personality disorders and paranoid psychosis. His conditions were controlled by irregular or excuse me, by regular injections of medication, but his treatment was also affected by his continued heroin use despite the efforts to rehabilitate him and to help him with his addiction. I know you're going to find this surprising, but when you try to help somebody with medical or mental health issues and they're self-medicating with street drugs, it doesn't usually work. Is it not as effective? You know, it's 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 not recommended by most physicians either. Oh, Okay. Literally why they ask you if you use street drugs at the ER, it's not because they want to turn you into the cops. Nope. It's so they don't kill you when they medicate you. Exactly. They don't want to be responsible for your dead corpse on the Correct. Gurney. And, oh, these things might, oh, you, you. I need to give you a benzodiazepine, but you've shot up heroin and been drinking alcohol. Well, I might kill you if I give you this benzo, so maybe I won't. Maybe I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I can vouch. Um, have lots of nurse friends, lots of ER friends, also friends that do medical coding and billing. Yes. They don't turn you over. They're just trying not to kill you. You got it. <clears throat> All right. So. The same is not true if you report that to me, just so that everybody is Or aware. I. Okay. We will <laughs> we report We are mandated you. reporters. Okay. Just so we yeah. all know. The hospital where he was detained had to pass him into the care of uh, different health authorities because he was found to be too dangerous. He would also attack nurses. Oh, lovely. Okay. 
Yeah, that pisses me off more than of any. And all of the law enforcement officers that I know too, that makes you worse. I know mm-hmm. people who get drunk and intend to fight people in positions of authority, police officers, you know, those type, of, even some first responders. Like you're shitty if you beat up an EMT, by the way. But you are. They're used to that dealing with that type yes, of aggression. That but by the time you get to the hospital and there's clearly a nurse trying to help you, he or she is only trying to keep you alive. And you beat up on them? Whether you deserve it or not. Fuck you very much, yes, sir. exactly. Good day. Good day. Yes. Stone is known to have, and this, this is a direct quote, okay, from, I can't remember, I'm sorry. It, my, my sources, of course, are in the show notes. This is a direct quote. It's somewhere in my brain. Let it me is. remember it. Well, because it's either, yeah, it's, uh, I, I forgot to put, I think it's from the Guardian um, interview, but Stone is known to have accidentally killed his partner by injecting him with too much heroin, causing an overdose. Police questioned him about the death of a friend who fell under a London lube train as he stood next to Stone as well. No. Stone later boasted of pushing the man underneath the train. You know he did. Yes. And he was initially questioned on the murder of 64-year-old Mary Town, who was found dead in a disused warehouse in Maidstone in 1977. Although another man was later convicted of that murder. Oh, no, that worries me. Who was the man? Who was he? I don't know, but he's sitting there saying, I'm innocent. He might be. You got the wrong man. He might be. While this guy's saying, yeah, I did all of these things, but I didn't do the murders we're going to talk about today. So I I just wanted to give you all that background information. That he uh, provided the fatal overdose? Psychiatry. Uh, Yeah, that one, yes, that one we absolutely know did happen. Um, You know, it was... And then the other ones were were just where he was questioned, but never convicted. Okay. Or or tried or anything you've really, like that. You've really endeared him to me. I know. He's obviously a shit stain in the underpants of society. This motherfucker. The, as that's you, how I started as it. As you referred to him as, now you know pardon why. my French. <laughs> excuse, excuse. Excuse, excuse. That's Italian. <laughs> okay keep going i know that no it's okay i was bringing culture you did you brought it you brought it right you brought the pasta what is it that um (laughs) that our patreons wanted me to say excuse me my good bitch but what seems to be the fuck yes i'm just (laughs) just bringing culture here excuse me my good bitch but what seems seems to be be the fuck Oh, God. I won't lie. Now asking my husband what seems to be the fuck is my favorite thing to oh, say. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to start doing it from this moment on. Yes. Yes. Don't do it to in court, but I think no, you, that they To would your like husband. It. Oh, yes, please do. He deserves it. Yes, he does. <sighs> now, I'm telling you all this before telling you the case that we're really here to talk about today because... I would, I'd like you to kind of just garnish your own opinions as we move forward. But we are here to talk to, or to talk about. I feel like you've led me into an opinion. I'm just throwing this out here. Do I? Have I? It was. It's unintentional. There was a motive here. I swear. Um, so what we're covering is what a case that's typically referred to as the Russell murders. Okay. Okay. I don't have a ton of information on 45-year-old Lynn Russell or her two daughters involved in this case prior to the horrific event that brings this to our podcast, but the articles and the details of their life are not very prevalent, and I suspect it's because 
Although severely injured, one daughter, Josie, who was nine at the time of the attack, survived. And as you know, Megan, when minors are involved and names aren't released, often details are left out to, to protect as well. So it's also my understanding from other things that I've read that Josie doesn't do a whole lot of public appearances. Um, just a couple of years ago, she did talk to The Sun and do um, a, uh, a an expose, if you will, really. on where she is now. And I will get to all of that information as well. But there's just not that plethora of information of like how they grew up. They were just a seemingly normal, loving family. Um yeah. And I do believe that there's also, I, I know that, you know, some documentaries have, have covered the case and whatnot, but I just don't want to put misinf- any misinformation out there. And so I have, I have what I have in, in terms of how we like to be victim focused here and give you more information on the victims and the survivors. We just don't have as much of that for this one, this episode, but still important to cover, of course. So now I'm going to tell you what happened. On July 9th, 1996, Lynn Russell and her two daughters, six-year-old Megan and nine-year-old Josie, were walking home down a quiet country lane after a school swimming competition in the village of Chillenden in Kent. Sorry if I butchered that. I think Chillenden's right. Well, even if it's not, it's how you know I what said I can it. assure you. What Kent is correct. <laughs> Thank you, but I'm probably not saying it with enough of an accent. But I have an American accent. That's an accent. Try giving it a little bit more of a U sound. Kunt. <laughs> it's wrong, by the way. You led me thank, into that. Thank you. Yes. So here they are now. Unfortunately, there. I just want you to picture this. There are two sweet beautiful little girls just walking down a country road. Josie and Megan. Josie and Megan with their mama after a swimming competition. They still had their swimming towels. They still had their swimming suits on. You're going to break my heart. Okay. Yes, I am. When suddenly, Megan, they are attacked with a man, by a man, excuse me, that was armed with a hammer. So horrifically, the three were blindfolded. They were bound by strands of their own bathing suit towels and then beaten to death. Now, All of them are beaten to death? Well, at first it was assumed that Josie was dead, but despite sustaining serious injuries, she did survive. Oh, Josie. The girls were... Her mama and her sister. Her mama and her sister, her six-year-old sister. The girls were wearing their little bathing suits still. They were just a family on their way home from a swimming competition. The three had walked past a parked car on the country lane before a man got out with the claw hammer and demanded money. Lynn said that they didn't have any, but offered to go home and get some. But the man refused before tying them up and then bludgeoning them. Lynn urged Josie to run home and get help, but the attacker caught her, blindfolded her with strips of her swimming towel, and tied her to a tree, before hitting her until she passed out. Lynn had also been blindfolded. After attacking the family, the attacker then drove off in his car. So that's that's what we know. Now remember, this was like a country road, so it's not like we have a plethora of witnesses here, guys. How do you rob people in bathing suits and towels? Uh, that's Well, that was my thought, too. 
Well, I think mom, that when, mom probably wasn't because it was her kids. Assume yeah, me. It was their competition. She probably had a purse on her. I don't uh, know. I don't know that detail for, you know, no, I'm just you know spitballing that's here. True. She's carrying a purse. She's vulnerable. She has two little girls and he's the perfect target. They're the perfect target. He's the perfect perpetrator. In the week after the murders, Stone had an accomplice. Stone and an accomplice were known to have carried out a robbery. Okay. Oh, so well, he's maybe in the area. And he, he's committing robberies. Does he have known accomplices? <clears throat> yes. In this particular robbery, he did. Okay. And that is something that is heavily speculated in this case as well. In well, that did he have help? It is of interest to me because we do know that somebody else was convicted of a murder of a woman in a warehouse that he admitted to. And it causes me to believe was that person who was sitting in jail or prison his accomplice? Well, that if so, he the, was out. Yeah, that happened in the 80s. But he has so a I history now mm-hmm. of ha- forming relationships in his he crimes. Does, he's been in prison more than he's been out of prison. I'm oh, sure he has plenty of seedy connections. That is true. That is fair. So Josie's recovery and the way that she and her father, Sean Russell, coped with the aftermath of the tragedy were subject of a BBC documentary. I couldn't actually watch that documentary because I'm in America and it, the <laughs> programs did not want to cooperate with one another. So um, if I guess if you're on that side of the pond, y'all, I'm sure that you have um, seen those, uh, you're seen that documentary or maybe not, you can go look for it. In 1997, Police uh, did end up arrest. Oh, there is something. There is a little caveat that I want to put in here. Okay, I love a good caveat. Well, I started. I, I was researching this. I was reading several articles, and I was like, okay, this is perfect for an episode. And then tragically, um, I got to some court proceedings where, remember, Josie recovers. Yes, and she's with her dad and her stepmom. And then later on in her childhood, because she's nine at this time, later on in her teen years, there are legal proceedings that I found um, of child abuse from her brother, or her brother, excuse me, from her father, Sean. Um, And so her life doesn't get easier after this. No, she loses her mom and sister, gets placed naturally with With the other biological parent who has no reason to not have her placed with him. Until there is a reason to not have her placed with him. And then there's some type of... Abuse. Yes. Um, when she was 14, 15. Um, so you will, if you look this case up on your own, you will find those um, articles as okay. well. Uh, so I, I did want to just make sure that you guys are all aware of that. In July 1997, police arrest. So this is a year later. Yes. 37-year-old Michael Stone for these crimes of the Russell murders after tip-offs resulted from um, that that happened from a reconstruction on the Crime Watch television program that covered this case for the one-year anniversary. They reconstructed where the bodies were found, what road they were on, um, the memories that Josie could relay. Sure. Okay. And so when that aired, kind of like here in America with our um, America's Most Wanted. Yes. Tips started coming in. A, psychi- a psychiatrist called to report that his suspicions of Stone and another two nursing staff also called in naming Stone. These medical workers who had worked with Stone before the attacks reported that by July 4th, 
five days before the murder, murders, Stone was becoming increasingly enraged and had aggressively threatened to kill people and their families. The psychiatrist further recalled that Stone had threatened his probation officer with a hammer. And the psychiatrist also told police that the threats were so aggressive that they had made him himself fear for his own safety, the safety of his employees, and that his the fantasies that he would often talk about in sessions mm, I don't like it aligned completely with the nature of the attacks on the Russells. Okay. Okay. Stone had told a, psychi- a psychiatric nurse that he dreamt about torturing people and that he fantasized about killing children and running about in the woods. He further added that he felt like killing children while walking and that when he passed by children, he felt like killing them. He also claimed to have tacked people with hammers. He had also said that he was angry at the world and was going to do something bad. This is all five days leading up before these murders. Is it possible that it's a coincidence? He does have psychosis. It is possible. But it's also possible that it's not a coincidence because he does have psychosis. Okay? Okay. So, Stone had also appeared, um, excuse me, apparently begged to be admitted as an um, inpatient to a psychiatric unit at the time, but he was refused because he was seen as too dangerous to be admitted to the psychiatric unit. Couldn't imagine why. Right? From his history. And he's, was he exhibiting drug-seeking behavior? Oh, yes. I mean, there's yes. all kinds of reasons mm-hmm. for this. Yep. And the thing is, is that he was relaying his own dangerousness to the medical staff. He was saying that he was too violent to stay in prison, that he needed to be admitted to the hospital, then that he was too violent to even be around nurses and hospital staff. So... He also would be very open. I'm too violent to be on earth. Is that what he was saying? uh, Essentially, essentially, because he was also saying that someday he was going to get fame and glory for his crimes. Doesn't seem like that'd be something he'd want if he was suffering. The other thing is that he did try to uh, the very next day after the murders, he did try to commit himself to a psychiatric ward. Well, that's just okay. Mm -hmm. That is potentially a brilliant legal or defense tactic. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing says pleading insanity like I tried to check myself into the crazy house after I committed murder. Yep. I mean, sorry. You guys know I'm firm believers in mental health and and those type of issues, but more likely than not, people who commit homicides, while they might be crazy, are not criminally insane. No. That is very rare. Yes, exactly. And usually... They don't walk themselves in to turn themselves in for help. Someone finds them and gets them help. Correct. Uh, And what's interesting is that the psychiatrist actually told police that Michael Stone did fit the description of the murderer that was released from Josie's recollection. So. Okay. Okay. All right. Shortly before his arrest for the murders in 1997, he threatened to kill his sister and one of her children, and smashed up her car. He attempted suicide. So, at like least it was Thanksgiving. Twice. Yeah, I I guess. Okay. At, at the at the Stone House. This is this is the sister that advocates for him currently. 
I was going to breeze past that detail. Just, okay. Um, I don't know, because he's one of five children, so uh, I don't know that for sure. It's very possible it's a different sister. It is very possible. That yep. he threatened to kill. I'm unsure of how many sisters and brothers that he has. I don't and know if it's his, just one. And his niece or nephew. But it's still not okay. Um, and we do know that he did attempt to complete suicide at least twice while he was in prison. So, but we, I mean, that's no surprise. We, we have covered the mental health, you know, things. Yeah. But here's where we get into like the evidence piece here. Okay. okay. He has no alibi for the day of the murders. He said that he couldn't remember where he was, who he'd been talking to or anything about the past year because he'd been doing so many drugs. And that's where his girlfriend's testimony comes in to say, doesn't matter how many drugs that he's done. He, he remembers all of his violent outbursts. Because he, he used them to remind her to mm-hmm, behave. Mm-hmm. He said that he could recall the week before the murders and the following day, but not what was going on on the day in itself. Now, remember, this is a year after the murders. He's arrested in ni- July 1997. And he's like, you know what? I remember the week before and I remember the day after, but no recollection of the day of. I hate memory defenses or lack of memory um, recollection because it's it can be thought provoking for a jury one sure but in a case like this as I know you're pointing out right now you remember everything from before and you remember everything now and nothing different happened you've always been a user of heroin you've always had these type of issues you can't just conveniently forget the week you don't want to remember it perhaps mm-hmm. right i i don't i don't like the defense that he's setting up what he is setting up is a potential for a no contest plea because instead of having to plead guilty to something if he were to plead he can go with no memory of it and a judge would accept the no contest it's either that or a jury's going to have to convict him Right, right. Well, the thing is, is that he continues to maintain that he could remember where he, that he could not remember where he was on July 9th during both of the trials that he ends up happening. Having, not okay. happening, having. Well, happening and happening are the same thing. Happening's not a word, just so you know. I like it though, it is <sighs> now. Okay. I am having an issue speaking. (laughs) So a receipt actually shows that he was definitely at a cash converter that was at at 12.21 p.m. on the day of the murders that was 40 miles away. Okay. So that's not so far by time of travel. The murders happened at about 4.30 p.m. So there's unexplained where were you between 1221 and 430 and you're 40 minutes away. That's where you were pulled, you know, you were getting cash from. Um, a detective from the case later stated that it was possible that in a haze of drugs, he could have forgotten carrying out the attack at all. No. Well, but remember, that's a police officer saying that, not a psychiatrist or a medical professional. Why would a police officer be making that speculation? I'm not sure. I it wouldn't even be allowed in as evidence. Objection, Your Honor. Calls for speculation. Sustained. Because <laughs> legit. It's no, what do you base that off of? I love how you just had a whole trial. I did right in my head and my mouth. Yep. Now, interestingly enough, Michael Stone told police that he had never heard of Chillingdon, but friends testified that not only has he heard of Chillingdon before, but he knew it like the back of his hand. He had spent some time at the um, children's home just two miles away from the murder scene. 
and a reason for Stone being in the woods near Chillingdon on the day of the murder could not be established as Stone lived 30 miles away in Gillingham. But police said that as Stone financed his drug habit by burglaring homes, stealing lawnmowers, mobile generators, and other items that he hoped to sell in exchange for cash and drugs, he could have been in Chillingdon in order to steal something. Yeah, he may not have had a legit reason, but that's his legit reason. I think he was out scoping. And if he was going to actually rob something or to do a B&E, he saw vulnerable walking down the road. Yes, he did. So he, he made saw opportunity. There was mo, me, blah, 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 blah. And the yes. dogs are barking. There was means, motive, and opportunity in there this sure case. There sure was. Easy. And again, I, I, I think that if we can believe anything about him, he probably did not premeditate this. Probably not. It was, op- it's that it, opportunity It was the piece. opportunity. But premeditation occurs at the moment that he decided, I'm, I'm going, going to, to take a them. hammer to mm-hmm. these people. Absolutely. It may be very short. Yep. But it, it was there. Police discovered that a lawnmower had been stolen from a cottage in Chillingdon on the same day so of the murders. Exactly. Just two to four hundred yards away from the scene of the attacks. Okay. And believed that, of course, Michael Stone was responsible for that theft as that was part of his MO. He was known to have tried to sell a lawnmower to a relative shortly after the murders. This is all evidence that came out in the trial that I'm telling you about. And, and so. it is possibly, it's circumstantial. Mm-hmm. No one saw this happen other than the survivor who obviously had significant injuries. You know, Charnel, when I used to have circumstantial evidence cases and my closing arguments, and you may have seen me do one or two, I used to like to put up a big piece of paper because the whiteboard doesn't have the same effect and it's expensive to replace. So you put up the big piece of paper and you write, I wrote, I would write guilty on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then I'd take my pen and just put a whole bunch of holes in it. Okay, and say, so the defense has tried to poke holes in this. Mm -hmm. And this is circumstantial evidence. But if you stand back and can look past the holes, can you still see that it says guilty? You can poke a few holes in the case, but it doesn't mean he's not guilty. Right, right. And that's what that's what's happening here. Yes. It's all adding up the big picture. Well, and they and furthermore. There were witnesses that testified that they knew he always carried a hammer in his car. It was a common thing, which we already know. He had been convicted of attacking somebody with a hammer before. Mm -hmm. A key witness also was a woman who was driving on an adjacent road. road. She said that she had seen a man that was hurriedly emerging out of um, the junction by the murder site in a beige car. She said that she could tell that he was... Was there a lawnmower? Yeah, I know. Where where did the lawnmower... Well, I think he stashed the lawnmower in the woods. I do too. Mm-hmm. Unless it was a push mower and it was like in the trunk or something. Very possible. Very possible. She said that she could tell that he was angry and that he kept looking back at her in the rearview mirrors. Okay? Yeah. He didn't want witnesses. For sure. It was this woman who later helped police create the Sketch? description of the suspected killer. That matches his description, just so you know, Michael Stone's description. Another witness recounted driving past a man acting strangely, very nearby, not in a vehicle, but holding a claw hammer in his hand, and he looked agitated. Yeah. I don't like that And yes, just so you know, the claw hammer was established to be the murder weapon. Leaves, as you said, very distinct marks. A third witness also testified to seeing a beige 
car parked by nearby bushes. It was a Ford Escort, actually, and said that when he took his dog for a walk um, to the same spot, an hour and a half later, he found a string bag with the straps of a towel in it. No. And it matched the same strings that were used to restrain the Russells, and they were smeared with blood. Those poor babies. Yes. Um, now, S- Michael Stone, I'm going to give you the, all the information here, at the time owned a white Toyo- Toyota Tercel. Well, that's not a Ford Beige It's not a. It's not a beige Ford Escort. And there is no record showing Stone as the owner of a beige car like that to which various witnesses had reported seeing. Or any reported Stone. However, some of his friends claimed that Stone did once drive a beige car that matched the one seen near the scene. Despite this, the only witness who is known to have definitely seen the attacker and the surviving victim, Josie Russell, maintained that the attacker had been in a red car and Stone himself said that he had owned a red car. So what I just gave you is that there are multiple witnesses that said near the area they saw this beige car, okay? But accomplice the the woman who said that she saw a man hurriedly emerging out of the junction of the murder site and that, you know, he kept like looking back at her in the winged mirrors said he was in a red car, and Josie herself said it was a red car. Okay. So so the witness... So uh, there are a couple of witnesses that say beige car. There's a couple of friends that say, yeah, he used to drive well, a beige car. Well, it's a car. road, so there's going to be different, multiple colored cars 100%. driving by. 100%. But registered, he was registered to have owned a white car. But he yeah. admits it. he was driving a red car. Uh, he didn't admit. Um, oh. oh, I'm sorry. He admitted that he had owned a red car. He had car. owned a red car. Yeah. Okay. Yep. At the crime scene, a fingerprint impressed in blood was found on the lid of Josie's lunchbox, which was inside a zipped up bag. Okay. We're searching, right? It's inside a zipped up bag, guys. There's a bloody fingerprint on her lunchbox. That doesn't surprise me when you're robbing someone. Yeah. You're searching through the goods. There were hairs that were found that did not belong to any of the victims, a black boot lace that was bloodstained that had been used to tie them up. As I told you, they were yeah. bound as well. Um, Stone was known to use a boot lace as a tourniquet to raise the veins in his arm when injecting drugs. Okay? I'm sure a lot of people do. That could possibly be coincidental. It's usually easier to come by than a tourniquet. Sure. Because you yep. just take your shoelace off. So these items were scientifically tested using the techniques that were available then. And at that time, there was no link found to Michael Stone. But they didn't, I mean. There was no DNA? No, no. They they didn't. It's 1996. I mean, they had DNA in 1996. It's just. No, there's not DNA from the blood link. No. Okay. Um, The bloodstained strips of towel and string bag were also scientifically examined. And no link was found on these to Michael Stone either. The fingerprint on the lunchbox was conclusively found not to um, belong to to Michael Stone either. As it did not share his fingerprint pattern. Okay, sorry, I was making sure I wasn't skipping through something. It's a little hard to read this blue writing. Although it was determined that it could have been Lynn's fingerprint, yet this scenario would have meant that the victim would have had to have left the fingerprint on the lunchbox before the attacker zipped up the lunchbox bag again and then found um, the zipped up 
it and closed it. Now, I disagree with this. This is why. If a man is asking you free money you and you're trying to get it, right? It, yeah. it is possible that, and she said, no, but I can go home and get some. It is possible that he had not carried out the attack in one fell swoop. It is possible that he perhaps injured her and she was cognitive and conscious enough to say, let me look. Maybe there's some lunch money in this lunchbox. You know what I mean? I believe it very well could have been her bloody fingerprint, regardless of the fact that the bag that it was found in was then zipped back up, right? Like he himself could have zipped it back up. Yeah. I, that that just isn't compelling to me to say that it's not Lynn's fingerprint, that she didn't leave it there trying to look through her daughter's things for money and to, to make this all stop. How, I mean, do we know if they died immediately, if they had lived laying in the road no. too? What if you were just going through your bag? Like, can you imagine just picturing your hand out trying to find something, anything near you? I'm, I'm not exact, exactly. I would, well, today I'd be searching for my cell phone, right. right? But my bloody fingerprints would be all mm-hmm. over everything I owned, just trying to reach for something. Or even your daughter. Correct. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. blindfolded. Yeah, absolutely. By the way. And and we don't know what order no. these things happened in, okay? It's no, we just, know they were all uh, blindfolded and bludgeoned yes, and two of and them died. Josie was tied to a tree, you know, and they were all bound. Um, I, I'm not entirely certain of the, the detail of going through the crime scene and whatnot because initially Josie was thought to have been dead. Right. You know, and she survived. So uh, the hair match actually didn't seem to match to any known person. Now, it's not known for certain if the hairs belonged to the attacker as they could have gotten on the girl's clothing when they were at the swimming event, right? I mean, that could have came from anywhere. Now, a hammer was found near the scene of the murders, but it could not be conclusively determined whether it had been the hammer used in the attack. How many hammers are just laying around on a country lane road? I ask you. I don't feel like... Is that common? Any responsible tool owner is not going to leave their hammer on the side of the road. I don't think so. I do know plenty of people who have hammers readily available in their vehicles though. So that doesn't surprise me. I have them readily available all throughout my house, both for security, but also because you just never know when you're going to need to put up a new picture. Yes. I just did it yesterday twice. I'm so glad to have one on hand. I have it in multiple places. And stick lighters for my candles. Me too. And Mm. also both of these items, my children do find and find other uses for and misplace, which is why I have them in various locations throughout my house. Correct. Ah, glad you understand. But I don't leave any of those things on the side of the road. I don't. Exactly. And if I were to have committed a crime with either my stick lighter or my hammer, I would be inclined to take it with me to dispose of. Not just leave it very nearby on the same road, No, ma'am. That is correct. That seems odd to me, too. The day after the attack, friends did testify that they noticed that Michael Stone's clothing had blood all over it, and he actually refused to enter their home as he usually would. Hmm. They noticed bloodstains on his toolbox in his car and on a blue sweatshirt in his car as well. His red car? Stone claims that this is because he had gotten into a fight earlier, but there were no Um, marks on Stone whatsoever. There was no defensive wounds. He like, won the fight. Oh, we already know okay. this because he had a hammer and he beat up girls. He did. That's right. Little girls. Yep. He also later told police who asked for the clothing. Now, keep in mind, he was arrested a year later, but he was questioned shortly thereafter. Okay. Okay. 
he told police he had burned all those clothes, so they couldn't look at Sometimes them. you just don't want to do the fucking laundry. And so you just burn it. You just burn them. If I had a dollar for every piece of clothing I burned, I would be poor. Correct. You, you Poorer would, than I already You wouldn't am, even have a way. dollar. I wouldn't. No. Because I've literally never done that in my life. Because no innocent person burns their clothing. <laughs> no. Like, no. What? Now, if you burn, I've burned my boyfriend's clothing sure. before. Sure, 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 sure. Boyfriend's clothing. Right, 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 right. right Love right. notes, maybe a poem, but I've never burned my own clothing. I, never once. Is this you? Go, you guys, let us know. Do you burn clothing regularly? That's not clothing. Y- and you grew up on a farm wash. too. It's right. like you a pig farm. Yes, we just wash them, honey. You just wash them. We, we just, just wash burn them. them. That pig shit comes out. It does. It and does. I've heard blood does as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to say I've heard. I've definitely gotten blood on clothing before. Correct, but, but with no malice. And yeah. so the only lo- logical reason for burning clothing is to dispose of evidence, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is looking worse and worse for him. Well, let's, for a jury, let me least. take you to his first trial. Wait, wait. I don't uh, like when you, you heard, say first trial. You heard what I said. My head starts screaming, mistrial, mistrial. I said what I said, appeal, and I can't appeal. take it back. Okay. So he pled not guilty at his original trial in 1998. But his conviction was primarily based on a testimony from a witness named Damien Daly, who claimed that Stone had confessed to him while in prison during a conversation through a heated pipe at the back of their cells. You and I both know we don't like prison confessions. Uh, cellmate confessions. I don't through a heated pipe. There's, <laughs> the, I've had some heated, or I'm sorry, had some heated, had some heated pipe before. I've had <laughs> some jailhouse confessions that were great, that were totally usable, that I would allow in, but sure. that is probably not one of them. No, probably not. He was, um, so Stone himself, this, all right, so this Damien Daly guy, sorry, let me backtrack, you know, claimed that, like, I could hear him through this heating pipe of the cell. Don't worry. They took the jury to the very cell and had someone talk through the heating pipe, and you could, in fact, hear, just so you know. They was did he, take him there. Was he talking to him, or was he trying to insinuate this guy was talking to himself and he heard it? It, I don't that's like any a, of That's this. a wonderful distinction to be made, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. He, it, the way that it's written in several sources makes it sound as if he confessed to him they were having a private conversation through the heat pipes. Intimate. I'm romantic. Sorry. All I keep thinking units. is you have committed murder, and you're sitting in your cell, and you're like, what is this? Where does this go to? Hello. Have you ever seen... Um, Real genius with Val Kilmer? Yes. Is that you, God? <laughs> it's God. me. Jesus? Jesus? Yes. <laughs> no, uh, this is a but. Uh, this I is know, me. Yes. Bad. I this can see bad. why there was a first trial. Yes. Well, and he was, I think I told you that he had attempted uh, to complete suicide at least twice. In prison, around. does not make you not guilty. No. It makes you not want to be in prison and suicidal. It was around the same time that this Damien Daly said that the confession had taken place. So, like he was, it was like a deathbed confession, That's essentially. Okay. That is possible. So, another two prisoners, Mark Jennings and Barry Thompson, testified at the trial that Michael Stone had suggested to them um, his involvement in the crimes. They also heard that Stone was unable to present any of the clothes that he was wearing at the time for analysis because he had burned them because he had gotten too fat. Now, if you were going to burn clothes, being too fat would actually be the thing that I would, that would be why I would burn them. 
I wouldn't burn clothes. No. It's so weird. If anything, if somebody asked me for the clothes I was wearing last year on a certain day, I would go, what? I can't remember what I wore Tuesday. Nope. But this guy can remember that he burned them. That I can remember what I was wearing and that I burned them. I, I, wow. I don't know. Well, I do actually think the clothes were asked for when he was initially questioned before his arrest, right after the murders. Okay. So I should say that. that. Well, if you murder somebody, you know what you killed them in. Yeah. Because and that you burned them. Because you burned them. (laughs) So there's also that. The other thing, too, is that the convention, convention, sorry. Oh, I can't even say sorry. sorry. Convention. Just go ahead and put the U back in Kent. (laughs) Here we are in Kunt. Um... (laughs) The conviction also rested on the fact of these three, you know, confessions that were alleged to have been made. None of the forensic information of the time actually linked him to the confront of uh, the crime. And <laughs> the confessions did not contain any ma- material that had not been previously reported by the national press. Okay. So it's in the newspaper. We don't love, this is why we don't love jail no, confessions. we don't love this. So... Other uh, evidence that I've taken you through already did come out. Yes. But the, it is circumstantial. It is circumstantial, mm-hmm. but you can convict on you circumstantial yep. evidence. I and used the, to do it all the time. And the jury did take 15 hours and two days before they found him guilty by a 10-2 majority verdict. Okay. Oh, it doesn't have to be unanimous there. Uh, nope. Here yeah. it's unanimous or it's majority. a mistrial. Yeah. And it might be now too. I'm not sure. Oh my God, I guess I don't know what system of criminal government that they I'm operate under. I'm not sure either. Or has it pardon, changed since 1996? For my I'm naivety, sure. I will look it up. Yep. So the Court of Appeal ordered a retrial in February 2001 after two of the three prisoners had their evidence discredited. Within 24 hours of the first trial, one of the prisoners who gave key evidence, Barry Thompson, admitted that he had lied about Stone confessing to him and retract his evidence. Was that the pipe Jesus? Uh, nope. Barry wasn't the pipe <laughs> the pipe god, but he was just one of the, the camaraderies okay. dudes. It was also found that a second prisoner who gave evidence, Mark Jennings, had been, had been paid $5,000 by the Sun newspaper and promised a further 10 before he gave his evidence, and so his statement was deemed unreliable. Why in the hell would the media, would the Sun newspaper, and what? It's 1998. I want to know what happened to the Sun, because they should have been sued to within an inch of their lives. Well, interestingly enough, they're a source in this podcast because they did a follow-up of how Josie's doing in 2021. Did they ever do an article on how, like... But here's the thing, Megan. It's not illegal for them to pay Mark Jennings for the story. No, it's illegal for them to tell him to lie. That's not what was said. No, no. I apologize to the media outlet The Sun. I Mark. took from that that they paid him. What what happened is that because he was paid for the story, that was used to discredit him as a witness. So he, he was didn't paid, lie. But he was paid before he testified for the story. <sighs> and that is what the problem 
was. Well, mm-hmm. I am just spitting out he feathers did, from eating crow. He never retracted his statements. He never no, said they were that real. What he what he had heard in prison was a lie. The problem is, is that he had been given money. Can't sell your give, story before he, the conviction. Right, right, right. Okay, so then they have another trial in two thousand and one. And this jury takes less time than the first trial and finds him guilty. As part of this, the second trial, the jury visit, excuse me, I thought they visited the cell in the first trial. They visited My the bad. second time. They visited the second time where his confession to Mr. Daly was alleged to have taken place. And they listened as a book was read through the pipe, joining the two cells to judge whether or not the confession was plausible. And it was deemed that it was. So I've been making fun of the Super Mario Pipe confession this whole time, and it literally led to his conviction. His second, his second one, yeah, it was a part. It was a part uh, of it because it was real. Yeah, or, well, I, can, I mean, because you could. I'm gonna say you could have. They heard him. No, I know. They and read I'm, a book. Now I can see why we are where we are with him claiming it didn't happen, and he was wrongfully convicted, and some people possibly believing him because Absolutely. that. I get it. Is very, it's also, if it wasn't for all of the other evidence, I would have a very hard time with just the pipe Jesus confession. Exactly. Pipe Jesus and a couple of homeboys who said, yeah, "Yeah, he said this to me. But the independent witnesses, Josie, from what she can remember, the female that was the bystander that saw um, those, those in and of itself are enough to lend more beyond a reasonable doubt to it. His MO, his behaviors, those, those sorts of things. Um, His lack of recollecting anything in his his, statements. His burning of his clothes. The burning of the clothes. That's what just does it for me not being able to say who you got into you so you were in a fight and that's why your clothes were bloody but you can't give you had no you know bruises or, or marks on you and you can't give details of who you got into a fight with. well to go back and to the I liar liar was. reference he was kicking his own ass he was. so he that's where he was with it um he was granted a leave uh, to appeal again in 2004 mm-hmm. with his lawyers claiming that mr delaney's testimony was unreliable but in his second of appeal was actually rejected in 2005 with the judge saying that he was um, not persuaded by the evidence, which Stone's lawyers said undermined uh, Delaney's evidence. Okay. On The burden does fall on the defendant, usually and on an appeal, by the way. I don't know how it works over in the UK, but here it does. Mm-hmm. So it's their burden. On December 21st, 2006, a high court judge decided that Stone could spend at least 25 years in prison before being considered for parole, meaning he is likely to remain in prison until at least 2023 (gasps) at the age of 63. What have you just done to me? (laughs) The judge has said that imposing a whole life order order was appropriate, but that 25 years was the longest tariff that he was legally entitled to be able to impose. Um. Is he being let go this year? I I don't have that information. I do not believe. Sweet pipe is. Jesus, I have to look him up. Um, we'll get to it. I have Okay. I have more don't make me get my phone out, Charnel. <laughs> Charnel. I have Girl. I'm just you're just not gonna ruin it for me. Okay. Uh, I'm all right. I'll sit back on my pillow for okay. a minute. So, following his conviction, an, an inquiry was held into the care that he received for his drug addiction and mental health problems. It he, probably sucked. Well, it, sure, for the time, absolutely. Um, you know, they this inquiry showed that, 
yeah, he had threatened to kill his probation officer, his family, his the criminal justice staff. He had multiple aggressive outbursts, both, both with psychiatric nurses five days before the murders of Lynn and Megan, and also afterwards as well. So uh, it's kind of like... It well, it's hard to rehabilitate Hannibal Lecter when you don't know when he's going to eat your liver. It, like, it, you have to... This guy is in a cell, and he's unsafe to take out. I can't get past that statement. Can someone just please re- hear that again? Rewind 15 seconds. <laughs> it's hard to rehabilitate Hamidal- Hannibal Lecter when you're not sure if he's going to eat your liver. Listen, this is how my brain it works. It is true. It is true. And he's in a cell, and every time you attempt to assist him he is combative sure to the staff that's trying to help him well and for lynn and megan's family they really feel like this could have been prevented whereas the psychiatric nurses doctors probation system are all saying no it couldn't have been prevented we knew something like this was eventually going to happen it was a criminogenic issue to begin with He may have mental health issues, but again, you guys, there is such a big difference between us being accepting of mental health issues and knowing that some people commit crimes that have them versus this being he was a criminal. Mm -hmm. He was a criminal. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many many drug addicts, heroin addicts, hundreds of thousands of them in the United States, and I'm sure in the UK as well, don't kill people? They don't. They don't. They just suffer with their And addiction. they don't. They're not combative, and they no. don't beat up people no. in the ER and the doctors and nurses trying to help them. Do they want more opiates? Yes, they do, because they feel sure. like they're going to die if they but don't they have don't them. they don't have it. And that's what pisses me off about this entire case, because it seems to me like the focus has been on the fact that, yes, he's because he's a heroin addict, he's violent. Those two things are not the same. They don't go together. I 100% disagree in every aspect of knowing heroin addicts. Absolutely. No, I do not know any heroin addicts ever that I've dealt with that have been violent or combative, to be honest with you. In fact, they've usually been pretty great with um, medical treatment. If anything, when they were brought back out from with use of like um, uh, Narcan or something, they've been not necessarily combative, but I'm peace out. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, methamphetamine, maybe a different story. Yeah. Tweaking, totally different in terms of the amount sure, of violence. But not but heroin. No, this no. guy was a violent dude. I know. I, One of my favorite heroin addicts that I worked with slept on his lawn for 17 hours straight yeah. after he typically shot up. Yeah. I mean, it just, I don't know. That whole thing just really bothered me the way that we were like spinning and putting this, this stereotype on the fact that he had an addiction. No, he was a violent man before he had the addiction, okay? And we have a lot of co-morbidity going on here, okay? We have his childhood history. We know that sucked. We know that he started using drugs at the age of nine, not heroin. That wasn't until he was a teenager. You can have what we know in the the business to be co-occurring disorders, mm -hmm. which is a mental health diagnosis plus addiction plus child trauma, all of these things together. And they can make up a, a serial killer soup. I mean, you can get a recipe sure. for disaster out of sure. that. But there's a stew brewing. It's not. But it doesn't. But not. I'm not feeling it here. No. Not, not everybody. Not and not 
everyone turns out that way. No. Like he, yeah. No, or it'd be like the purge. It'd just be a whole bunch of serial killers and us hiding in here with your Christmas tree. And there is a really long article that was done by The Guardian, and it is in the perspective of his innocence. Okay, they interview him. They interview his sister. It is several pages. How long. does he remember? Um, he continues to argue that he is simply a victim of a miscarriage of justice. Um, he believes from two juries. Yep, he believes that um, the case against him came from another prisoner um, who was a career criminal. I'm sorry, sir. You also are a career criminal. Like you literally started when you were a teenager. That makes you a career criminal. But anyway, those who live in glass houses shall not throw stones. Um, he also just believes that the police would just make up any story that suited them because they just wanted somebody to pin these horrific murders on, you know, the same old song and dance. Um, her, his sister who originally thought that he could indeed be guilty of the crime, said in 1998 that she had changed her mind and had been persuaded that her brother was not guilty. Um, but she does acknowledge and suspect that he has killed before, but just not in this time. Okay, okay, okay. Shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, 2010, it goes back to a court of appeals, just so you know. No new evidence was found, so they could not justify making a referral for a new trial. Okay? Right. So, then Stone's legal team applied in 2011 for a judicial review, seeking court orders which forced the CCRC to reconsider their decision. As part of this, Stone's team cited the dismissal, dismissal excuse me, of the testimony of a new witness, prisoner Alan King, who came forward to say that the prisoner Michael Stone allegedly confessed was lying. Wow. This is fantastic. Yes. So in the meantime, he was able to convince another prisoner to say, yes, but this guy was lying. Yes. This is yes. a weird game of prison pipe telephone. It really is. Prison pipe Jesus just got interesting because now John the Baptist is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Stone's legal team has also asked the CRC to re-examine the um, three foot by three inch long boot lace, which had been used in the attacks and had been dropped at the scene by the murderer. With, That's a good request. Yep, with advanced DNA testing. Stone's team requested that the lace be examined using more modern forensic te techniques, techniques to see if any DNA could be found on it. Um, but the police said that the shoelace had been lost. They couldn't locate it at that at that time. So that was... Or destroyed. Yeah, 2000 and what did I say? 2011. Okay. So Michael Stone's legal team have argued that Levi Belfield could be responsible for the killings. However, Belfield's partner at the time, Joshua Collings, has insisted that she was with him on the day of the murders as it was her birthday. That's pretty easy to prove. It is my birthday. He yeah. was with me. She told investigators this, and it was What's more believable than I forgot the last week of my life. Right. So this guy, this guy, uh, for sure. She told investigators this, and it was an alibi that detectives found credible. Collings had helped detectives convict Belfield for his previous murders. Um, there's another murder mentioned, Millie Dowler, giving evidence that he knew very well in the area where her body was left. Okay. But in regards to the Russell murders... She did comment in the BBC documentary in 2017. 
My daughter was born in 96, and that was the day of my birthday. He, meaning Levi Belfield, never left my side, all day and all night. So there's absolutely no way he could have gotten from, uh, love it, Twickenham, where I lived, or Windsor, where I kept my horses, to Kent. Done what, and, and then did what they say he did, and get back to me without me knowing um, that he wasn't there. I can hand on my heart, and I hate to say it, but I can hand on my heart say he didn't do it. What she's saying, she actually helped police convict this man, Levi Belfield, her partner, in a murder that he legitimately co- did commit. This sounds like an honest woman but to it, me. Right, but in this one, she's like, there is no way. And But this is who... Michael Stone's legal team wants to pin this on. Well, yeah, he's perfect, Mm -hmm. too, because he's been convicted later of a homicide, so he's a good scapegoat. But the witness who would want to protect him the most has already sold him down the river and says he didn't do this one. Right, exactly. I think she's probably one of the most believable witnesses that we've seen. I agree. In terms of being a cognizant witness, because the female who saw him, the uh, defendant leaving the scene in the car with whatever, I mean, mm-hmm. she can only see what she knew at the time. She right. didn't know there'd been a murder when she saw those She things. did not, no. In May and June 2017, the case was scrutinized in a two-part BBC um, program called The Chillenden Murders, in which a team of independent experts re-examined the evidence and suggested that the wrong man might have been convicted. Two of the legal experts who took part in the program, um, a defense barrister, Stephen Kelmish, and a legal expert, Cheryl Nausu, stated that there are significant doubts regarding the conviction, and they are now working on Stone's behalf to have his case re-examined with the aim of launching a third appeal against the conviction. So on November 29, 2017, BBC Wales reported that Levi Belfield had allegedly confessed to the murders of to a fellow prisoner, giving details that would only be known by the killer. But Belfield denied that he had committed the murders and denied making that confession. Well, the, who did anybody come forward? Right, no, and and also well, they well, made a claim guy, they did. So this, where are they? This guy. Where's um, your Jesus pipe? Right. It's another. It's another prison confession situation. But like I said, Belfield's girlfriend of the time was like no you know absolutely not he may have admitted to a murder while he was in prison because that's why he's there right but it wasn't this one not that one in february 2022 stone's solicitor that's a lawyer paul bacon stated that belfield had confessed to the murders in a four-page statement which detail with details that only the killers would know However, a member of Stone's legal team stated that there was nothing in Belfield's statement, which had not already been released to the public domain, suggesting that he could have fabricated it using known evidence. The detective responsible for investigating Belfield's known crimes was also stated in the press, saying, knowing Belfield as I do, this could be him playing mind games. So, um, and we see this all the time, where people that are already in prison for life then go to confess on other things that they had nothing to do with. Sure, let me for do the my attention. Let me do my or let me do my buddy a salad for sure. I'm in here right. for life. What kind of an exchange could have happened? What, what had there been, been any communication between the two of them? Does anyone know. know? I don't know. I'd I'm like thinking, an inquest. I'm gonna say probably because back in 2011, even Stone's legal team pinned Belfield for this that's where it's i mean this has been going on first and then in 2017 he's like sure i've got a four-page statement i want documents of everybody who came to visit that man Mm. 
and letters that came to him. And let's let's find out what's really going on. You're a lawyer or something. Well, I used to play one on TV. <laughs> in 2023, Belfield's lawyer claimed that Belfield had admitted the murders during a conversation with a prison psychologist. Stone's lawyer declared that a signed confession by Belfield had been handed over to the CCRC. However, Belfield later recanted the confessions, and it was reported that he had been sent a letter to... Um, that he had then sent a letter to Kent Police explaining that he had only confessed for a $5,000 cash payment. Belfield had previously stated in 2017 that he had been repeatedly offered money by Stone's legal defense team to confess to the killings. I knew it. Oh, so dirty gosh, up in there. So, so dirty, dirty and so, so dirty. dirty Kent. So in May 2021, though, I'm going to go backwards a little bit. It came to light that the Kent police had relocated that shoelace that was found at the scene of the attacks. Remember the one that in 2011 that they was couldn't lost. find? Yep. Yeah. Um, evidence lockers, they get full. Yep. Uh, so Stone's legal defense team in 2001 had, had re-asked for it to be analyzed for DNA traces, hoping that it could lead to an overturn of his conviction. No news on that as of yet. Um, so according to an article that was done by the son, actually following the horrific accident, Josie and her father, Sean moved to, um, a place that I, I'm not, y'all, I'm not even going to try Please it. Please do it. Uh, Driffen, Natel, Gwendon, Gwendon, no, no. It's can like I people it? around here trying to say Charlevoix. Can okay? I, can I see it? <sighs> no, <laughs> I'm tired. I've come on. Hold on. I'm How do you say that? I'm going to go with Diphenantily. Di- uh, fine. Diphenantily. Gwynedd. Gwynedd. This has got to be someplace in Ireland. I don't know. All I know is that it's I... like It's like um, Gaelic or something. Hmm. Clearly, my ancestors are not from there. After the attack, Josie had to learn to speak again and had a titanium plate in her head. Oh, good Lord. Um, she pursued a career as an artist. I mean, she did suffer such terrible head, head injury that they thought she was deceased, remember? Yes. So, um, yes, she is an artist. She graduated um, with a degree in graphic design in 2009, and she started making and selling greeting, greeting cards at fairs before moving on to product uh, or producing textile landscapes, which now get qu- fetch quite a big price, as a matter of fact. That's awesome for Josie. Um, in 2014, she was quoted as saying, if I say I'm thinking about the future all the time and think positive, it doesn't mean I have forgotten about the past. I do think about it, and I think of the happy memories and the thing and things, but I don't like thinking about it too much. I know how life used to be, but I have to think positive, and I can't dwell on about it. Two decades on, she is engaged to a fire alarm engineer, Iwin Griffith, and plans to become a hands-on parent like her mom, actually her mom. She is now 35, and she's probably married by now because I believe this article was two years old yeah, at the time. She's probably I did change. Her, I did change her age with the time of the article. She was 33. Okay, but yes, she is. I'm sure probably married by now, but she is currently 33. And according to recent reports, you know, uh, Iwin is her soulmate, and um, 
she told a, a morning show that I feel like I've always lived in that house. We're just making it how we want it to be now. A little bit more updated because it's a very old house. She um, talks about how she likes to remember the happy times, like playing in the garden with her sister and things like that. And that she's just hoping to, you know, carry on to have a beautiful life, um, build a beautiful life for herself, updating her house with her soulmate. I'm glad she has a happy ending. She deserved a happy Absolutely. ending. Absolutely. Absolutely. So isn't that, I mean, what a case, right? It's interesting. And I want to know, like, is he out? Has he spent his time? No, I didn't. I mean, in the research, there was no articles that said, hey, man who committed slayings is released or anything like that. Potentially, he could be eligible for parole this year. Yes. Right. So he basically gave him an eligible for parole after 25 years kind of thing. And that's coming up. Yeah. It's up. It's December. It's it's December 2023. um, But I have not. There are there is crickets on that in, okay. in way of trying to find that information over here. I well, mean, maybe if we find out anything else or if you guys know anything over yeah, there. Yeah, link in, us in, in a, the tag us in an article. Yeah, mm-hmm. let us know so we can give an update. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pause for just a moment, Megan, to talk about a new opportunity. Is it just me or has this fall been particularly busy and stressful? There have been so many changes in my personal and professional life that some days it just feels like too much. I've started to feel scattered in my thoughts and in my actions, and I've noticed that my anxiety has been on the rise, which is unusual for me because I'm not usually an anxious person. So I was pleasantly surprised to receive an email from a company called Magic Mind. They were inquiring about a sponsorship opportunity for the podcast, and I thought, why not give it a shot? And a shot is exactly what I ended up receiving. Magic Mind sent me the most delicious little green shots of Nugenics to take with a morning smoothie, with my coffee routine, or even on its own. I was really surprised to feel the powerful little punch that these green little energy shots delivered. Within the first couple of uses, I found myself with less jitters that coffee typically gives me, and I did notice a big improvement on my mental clarity and concentration. Magic Mind has reduced my coffee intake. Just this week, I found myself in too much of a hurry to even make coffee, so I grabbed my little green sidekick and off to work I went. I was energized and clear-minded all day. I was willing to try Magic Mind because of the all-natural ingredients. I really had nothing to lose. The flavor is delicious. I was surprised to see some of my favorite ingredients like ashwagandha for reducing stress and anxiety and lion's mane mushroom, which is the fluffiest and the cutest of the mushrooms, by the way, for reducing anxiety, inflammation, and it's a stimulant for neuroregeneration, which would explain why my workouts have been feeling less painful as well. I think my listeners know by now that I would not recommend a product that I've not tried myself and enjoyed. As a matter of fact, I have turned down sponsorships in the past for this very reason. I shared Magic Mind with my oldest son in college, and he asked me when I would be ordering more because not only does he enjoy it, but he's also got his roommate hooked as well. The Magic Mind team has created a special offer to share with Crime Curious listeners. You get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase when you go to www dot magicmind.com forward slash crime curious and enter code crime curious 20 at checkout that's www.magicmind.com forward slash crime curious and enter code crime curious 20 at checkout i've also included a link in the show notes 
Give Magic Mind a try and be on the way to energetic mental clarity. Oh, gosh. Now, are you ready for a brain bath? I am. Or you could just, are you just going to read us the names of cities in Wales? Sure. <laughs> Let's just make that the brain bath. <laughs> Charnel not able to use her brain <laughs> to, to uh, pronounce so listen, words. I'm positive I pronounced it wrong, too. I just... I, I doubt it. What do you do with name places that don't have vowels in them, Charnel? I grunt. Right. I just grunt my way through it. And then, and then someone asks me about it later or tells me something horrific like my work isn't believable because I can't pronounce a place I'm not from. I know. It's so, <laughs> uh, it's. I will continue to bring that crazy. And I, and I know that you guys think that the internet is at our fingers and it is, but not everything actually gives you a phonetic pronunciation. I know because I've looked. Oh, I know. Right? Yeah. Like, here, let well, me figure out how to pronounce this before, and then I'll even spell it. Speaking of Charlevoix, I have put it into the translate. Oh, she pronounces it wrong. It's so wrong. Well, how does yes. she pronounce your name, Charnel? Oh, no. Charnel. I'm Charnel. You're Charnel. Yep. It depends on which girl you go with. Yep. I'm either Charnel, Chanel, Chanel. Oh, Chanel. Like the perfume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My grandma wore it. I found us a funny BBC.com news article on 13 of the crim- of the world's most stupid criminals. I love stupid I criminals. Know you do. They make I my job fun. I probably won't read all 16, okay. but I'm going to read you some. Okay. How about doing Tesco over? Armed robber Andrew Hennells was caught after he boasted on Facebook about his plans to raid a supermarket in a post which included a selfie, a picture of a knife, and the words doing Tesco over. Well, Jesus Christ. Tesco's a grocery line in the UK, I believe. It is. But police caught him 15 minutes later with the knife and the money stolen from Tesco in Kingsland. And a screenshot. And a screenshot. And a screenshot. Could you please explain this, sir? He was jailed for four years for that. Mm -hmm. He had to have made plans toward the commission of that crime. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, he posted it on Facebook prior to committing it. Doing Tesco This is what's over. wrong with kids today. Uh, Why do you post evidence of the stupid shit that you do or that you're going to do? Some of us are doing well today because we didn't do that. we didn't do that. And no one knows about it. And there's no evidence there's to prove There's Polaroids someplace, but we that's burned true. them. <laughs> right. Now that we do burn. We burned them because that's what you do after you take a picture. <laughs> like after you, you wear clothes. That you don't you want burn others them. to see and know about. No. Uh, how about the couple, a retired couple, uh, that returned from their holiday in 2014? Is this the guy that was making porridge in their house? Nope. He was asleep in their bed. Yeah, but like the yeah. Goldilocks. I've heard he this is. one. And yes. she actually wasn't that mad because he like did the dishes and tidied up. Well, let me see. It says Miss Dyson said that their house wasn't too tidy when they went away. I've done this yep. one. Oh, you have? Yes, I oh. literally read this as a brain bath. My apologies. <laughs> That's how I knew it. I wasn't like reading your fucking mind over here. <laughs> I know telepathically. I'm sorry, my good bitch, but what seems to be the <laughs> fuck? I don't remember. I did. We did this as a brain bath. Uh, Possibly the whole thing. We are what? 400 episodes in. I can't I mean, possibly remember ourselves. all of the terrible criminals that we Is it covered. titled Goldilocks? 
Let me see. I'll scroll. I have to scroll. Goldilocks bird or bird I know. caught napping. Sometimes I remember things too, Charnel. I, I guess <laughs> so, because I have no recollection of that one. I remember the guy who got caught because he laughed at a joke that the homeowner said. Yes. That he one, giggled at something. That one always gets me because that that I would do. And and the and the girl that supposedly got out of um, being kidnapped by performing oral pleasure on a man, yes, which is yes. apparently not true, by the way, because the Snopes. Snopes says no. Right. Yes. It, that was satire. Um, <laughs> it was satire. Uh, We've had to come back before and, yeah. and make public yes. declarations of apology for reading satire as if it was I'm, real. I'm okay. Because though. that isn't how satire was intended. That's called sarcasm. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's and also a form of the English that we use here. And I still think it's funny. If we made people laugh at the end, who cares if it's true or not? <laughs> Other than the true crime itself. The right, brain right, right. Bath, the, the brain, brain bath. bath. It's lies. It's all lies. <laughs> yes. Except Have you said nothing honest to me in the past two years, Chanel? Except for that one brain bath where I totally confessed to farting in bed and by blaming it on the dog. I was that not part was of real. the show yet. No it was one right was. before I was, that you were single I was, podcasting. I was singling. And I, I was playing with myself. <laughs> I died laughing because you're like, and the best part is he doesn't listen. So he'll never, he'll never know. <laughs> Still doesn't. Still doesn't. No. Nope. Oh, gosh. OK. How about this? Don't move. I have a cucumber. Oh, I'm intrigued now. I thought you would be. I had you a cucumber. You did. A man who tried to rob a Glasgow bookmakers while armed with a cucumber came unstuck when he was tangled. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah tackled to the ground by an off-duty police officer. Oh, that'll get you, those off-duty officers. They come to the rescue. Gary Ruff brandished the vegetable covered in a black sock. Nope. (laughs) Why'd it have to be black? And a female worker. (laughs) Yes, yes. He was going to beat someone with a sock cucumber. He was. And he demanded cash, but this chick refused. Like, what are you going to do with that cucumber? I I literally scan cucumbers all day. I know that that's just a cucumber so to you, black sock. You put syrup. a black sock on it's it. It's just <laughs> seen that before. Right. Doesn't exactly. make it look bigger. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> at all. It's less intimidating now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Come on. Okay. Then he tried, when he realized that the uh, jig was up and that no one was buying it, he was like, this was a joke. Am I oh. going to jail for this? I take it back. And they're like, yes, you, sir, you absolutely yeah, are. Yeah, you're going to jail. you tried to rob, because you would have taken the money had she given it to it you. It wasn't a joke. No, you were trying to rob her with a As I've a said recently cucumber. to people, jokes are funny, get better material. Yes. That's not funny, that sir. That's not. You know what I would have done? I would have taken that cucumber out of his hand and beat him right in the forehead with it. Just Yes, you would have. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And then I'd have to explain to the law enforcement why I assaulted somebody. But a cucumber in a knicker doesn't fool me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I know a cucumber in a knicker. They're like cute little panties. (laughs) I prefer my cucumbers in panties. Uh, That's right. We're from the U.S., damn it. We don't wear knickers. We wear panties. We do. We do. Okay, on that note, yeah. I think we've ta- we've taken up enough of these good people's time. We have. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you keep it curious. And keep listening. And also join our Patreon if you want more of us. We release five yeah. episodes, bonus episodes a month. I mean, they're tiered. You can pick which one you want, you know, very reasonable prices. Three, five, ten. Three, five, or ten. How much of us do you want? Cheaper than a Starbucks. And OnlyFans. 
Yeah, it must. So I hear. I don't actually know, but that's up on the list if this fails. So join Patreon. Keep us off OnlyFans. Keep us off (laughs) OnlyFans. Hashtag Um, Crime Curious. (laughs) Oh, until next time, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.